Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. Ocean Allison podcast episode is brought to you by you, the listeners. A big thank you to everyone that's contributed to my funding platform at patreon.com slash oceanallison. And for those that haven't, visit patreon.com slash oceanallison to watch my video and learn more about how you can help keep the podcast episodes coming. And now to this month's episode. This episode's ocean advocate is Jim Ritterhoff. Jim is the executive director of Force Blue, a nonprofit uniting veterans with the world of coral reef conservation. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the show. Hey, Allison. How are you? Good. I'm very happy to have you on the show today and to talk with you a little bit more and learn about your story as as well as share it with listeners. So listeners, to give you guys a little bit of background on how Jim is joining us on the show today. I recently attended an event in Miami where um, Dr. Wallace J. Nichols, some of you guys might remember him. I had him on the podcast like about a year ago now, actually. Um, Time flies. But uh, J. Nichols was having a Blue Mind event in Miami at the Frost Science Center, and I went down there. And Jim happened to be one of the people on um, a panel discussion after Jay kind of gave a presentation on Blue Mind. So I got to see Jim on this panel and and talk about Force Blue, his nonprofit, and all that it's about. He shared a little video promo, which was amazing. And um, then afterwards, we kind of got to briefly, briefly talk for <laughs> one second. We were kind of getting shoved out the the doors. But, um, you know, I basically just told him, I, I love what you're doing with Force Blue, and I'd love to have you on the podcast. And so here we are. He's on the podcast. And um, like I said, very excited to share what you're doing with listeners. So, Jim, one thing that I was curious to learn more about what you mentioned in that panel discussion that you guys were doing at that event Mm -hmm. um, is that your career for the last, you know, 30 years or so was mostly in like advertising and media and and film and things like that. Not really necessarily focused on anything to do with the ocean um, or ocean conservation or science. But you mentioned that you've been a lifelong scuba diver and lifelong ocean lover. So mm-hmm. can you kind of give us a little bit of background on where that ocean connection stemmed from? And even though it wasn't maybe in your career, it was in your personal life. Sure thing, Allison. Well, you know, it's interesting. I grew up in Pennsylvania, <laughs> not exactly <laughs> a, uh, an ocean community. I went to college in Pennsylvania. I went to graduate school in upstate New York. And while I was there at Syracuse, you know, Syracuse winters can be pretty brutal. And I was bored. And uh, a friend of mine suggested that um, I go take scuba diving classes, you know, because that was something there was a a, a dive shop there in Erie Boulevard. Wow. <laughs> in Syracuse. And uh, it's funny, a guy named Jer Hollenbeck, who's, who's kind of famous in the in the dive community was the guy that operated the uh, the dive store. And long story short, I took to it. I loved it. I was uh, 21 years old, I guess, and that kind of began my, you know, lifelong love of the sport. And uh, I've been fortunate enough through my career 
uh, with a lot of clients that I've worked for. I've, I've worked a lot in the travel industry, uh, advertising destinations, and, and had gotten involved with the scuba industry, uh, done some work for them. So I've had the opportunity to really travel around the world and dive. And uh, about five years ago, I was invited to join the board of directors of a marine institute in the Cayman Islands. And that's where I really got involved with um, you know, coral reef conservation. I made a feature film a few years ago that I wrote that was all about you know, these special places on the planet. It was a, a narrative film, but it had at its backdrop this story of conservation in these special places that we need to protect. I wrote a children's book about marine conservation, all based on the fact that my daughter, who at the time was about 12 years old, you know, learned to dive with me and went through the, the marine sea camp program at this marine institute. So I've, I, you know, it's always as a, as a marketer, as a writer, somebody involved in entertainment, I've always, you know, one of my goals has always been to try to get whatever message I'm trying to get out there to as many people as possible. And on the marine conservation front, I sometimes feel as though, you know, we're preaching to the choir. The people that care already know. And, and the real challenge is to get more people to pay attention and to be aware of, you know, really what's happening, not just to, you know, coral reefs and to our oceans, but to our planet. So, you know, that's always been in the back of my mind is how can we expand the audience? And throughout your career, it seems as though because you had this love for scuba diving that you you tried as much as you could throughout your career to incorporate that more and more and more and then eventually getting into actually ocean conservation initiatives. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The two things that have always been very, very central to my life are, you know, oceans and, and, and dive, the sport of diving and marine conservation and, and veterans. You know, I myself did not serve, but my, my father, all my uncles were World War II veterans. My brother-in-law was a Vietnam veteran. So, you know, and when you grow up in a, a steel town in Pennsylvania, it's, it's a pretty important part of your upbringing. So when the opportunity kind of presented itself, and it was really through happenstance and just because of a situation that occurred with a good friend of mine, but when the opportunity kind of availed itself to do Force Blue, it was, you know, it's sort of like a kid in a candy store for me because these are the two things that I'm absolutely the most passionate about. And to be able to do something that brings them both together is is really just a dream come true for me. So. So I want to ask you a little bit about the starting of Force Blue in a second. Mm -hmm. I do want to ask you, though, you know, you were just saying so important for us to get people that aren't listening to these sorts of stories and and Mm -hmm. information involved. So I want to ask you, I mean, I know that you were a scuba diver, you know, in in upstate New York. Uh, How did you first become aware and concerned about coral reef conservation and ocean conservation in general? I mean, I know as a diver, you're obviously more subjected to it, but it wasn't always a part of your life. So how did you become someone that wasn't listening to these things, become someone that was listening and someone that did care? Well, you know, as someone of a particular age, you know, I grew up with uh, Jacques Cousteau and and, uh, a lot of entertainment properties that made diving seem very adventurous. So I think that was part of the the allure of the sport to me. Uh, In very short order, I I realized and I had the opportunity, you know, to um, leave the cold water diving of upstate New York and and really experience the the Caribbean. As I said, one of my clients when I was in advertising was the Cayman Islands Department of Tourism. 
uh, as a result, I was able to go to Cayman quite a few times a year and dive there. And, and the reefs in, in Cayman are, you know, some of the best in the world, certainly in, in the Caribbean. And that just sort of piqued my interest in, in what I was seeing. Were you seeing decline, you know, over those years that you were able to visit the Cayman Islands? Were you seeing decline in coral reefs yourself as a diver? Yes, certainly. I don't think, you know, Cayman has not, knock wood, you know, been subject to the kind of bleaching events and real widespread devastation that, you know, we've seen in other parts of the world, like the Barrier Reef and whatnot. You know, Cayman is still a relatively healthy system. But I can tell you, in you know, in 25 years uh, since the first time I went there, you do see a difference. And um, it's like anything. It's it's a finite resource. And um we're learning the value of these things as we move forward. And I, and I think that protection now is coming to a lot of the Caribbean, but uh, you do see the changes and it's, and it's frightening. You know, you appreciate what you saw when you were in your 20s and then when you're in your 40s, it's a different animal. And I've never been one to sort of shrink from a fight or to um, keep my voice quiet. I, I like to uh, advocate and uh, things that I believe in, that I believe strongly in, I, I believe I have an obligation to express those concerns. So the, the challenge we face, and, and why I say the thing about preaching to the choir so much, is that it, it's become increasingly apparent to me in the last few years, you know, in particular, our country becomes so polarized politically. And, and something like, you know, conservation becomes a, a political discussion, which seems kind of preposterous when you consider, you know, regardless of whether we're conservative or liberal, we have to share this planet. It doesn't, it seems like the last thing that should be politicized. Yeah. Yeah. But when, yeah, but when it becomes political, whether, you know, you're a climate change believer or climate change denier or however you want to, uh, you know, approach that, it, it seems really unfortunate. And, and that I think exacerbates the problem because it's not just about not being aware of it. It's about actively wanting to refute it. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's one of the things, one of the reasons why force blue was such an attractive vehicle for me, you know, to, to try to create and, and be involved with the formation of, because I think it's a real opportunity for us to, uh, reach people who otherwise, you know, wouldn't hear the message because for whatever reason, they've been conditioned to believe that that's somehow the other side of the political spectrum. So yeah. like I, I always say, people who will not, absolutely will not listen to another scientist talk about global warming or climate change or whatever you want to call it, they won't, you know, they're just not going to listen to that message. Suddenly, if you introduce special operations veterans, you introduce Navy SEALs, you introduce recon marines and army sf guys these are their heroes and if they're listening to it or if they're paying attention to it and they're actively if they're actually out there Helping. advocating yeah well then suddenly it gives you permission perhaps to think about it i think it's genius and so i would actually love if you could share the story of how you and your co-founders came up with the idea for force blue sure well about two years ago uh, two summers ago, I had a, a very dear friend of mine, a guy named Rudy Reyes, who's a former uh, recon marine veteran, you know, done multiple tours, uh, combat tours, both in Iraq and Afghanistan, and, and then some, some contract work in other places. 
Uh, I hadn't seen him for a few years. He and I had worked together. He, uh, when he got out of the military, um, went right into a HBO series. They hired him. HBO hired him to be a technical advisor on a, a series called Generation Kill. That was a miniseries based on a book that a Rolling Stone reporter who had embedded with Rudy's unit in a, uh, during the initial you know, invasion of Iraq had written. And they'd hired Rudy to be the technical advisor. Well, they took one look at Rudy, who, if you've seen, you know, you've seen photos Mm -hmm. of images of him is, you know, Captain America. I mean, he's one of the fittest guys on the planet. So they immediately hired him to play himself. And Rudy had never acted before. But, you know, he's, you know, handsome as the day is long and talented. He's one of the most uh, genuine people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. So I met him shortly after that, after he had done. Generation Kill. I was developing a television series in New York at my company, and we were looking for a host, and I was introduced to Rudy. And although that series never happened, he and I got to be very good friends. We just shared a lot of things in common. He's, he's very much the definition of a, a so, sort of a poet warrior, you know, atypical for what you might think of, you know, a Marine, a recon Marine you know, with that level of elite training and whatnot. He was a very philosophical, very sort of Zen type type guy. And we just hit it off and we became fast friends. We talked about a number of other projects. But then anyway, you know, we went on with our lives. Rudy went and did some television work and I was involved in other stuff. And I hadn't seen him in a couple of years and he called me and he said, hey, I'm in New York. Let's get together. So, you know, one day after work, I went out and I and I met him. And, you know, I hadn't seen him in about two years and he looked exactly like he always does, which is unbelievably fit and in great shape. But I could just see in his eyes that there was something wrong. And I asked him and he confided in me that he'd had a, you know, very difficult time over the last, uh, you know, 14, 16 months. You know, I won't get into too much of it because it's, it's, it's personal. It's his story. But he'd had some real problems uh, assimilating back from basically a decade of war. Yeah. And, uh, and that had manifested itself in some really destructive things. And he just, he just seemed like a beaten guy to surmise it. And as luck would have it, I was going diving um, the following week with my daughter, who at the time was about 16, 17, I guess, on a daddy-daughter dive trip down to another friend of mine's in the Cayman Islands who, who runs a dive resort. And so I said to Rudy, you know, just on the spur of the moment, I was like, dude, why don't you come with me? And he's like, oh, I can't afford that, you know, no way. And I was like, give me two days. So I called my friend, Keith Sam, who is uh, general manager of a resort on Grand Cayman called uh, Sunset House, who's a former Coast Guard rescue swimmer. And I told him about Rudy and he said, just get him down here. So I bought Rudy a plane ticket. I told my daughter on the way to the airport that it was going to be a slightly different trip, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is funny, but that's fine because day by day three, he was Uncle Rudy because that's just the way he's sort of infectious like that. And um, very long story short, we spent five days diving together. And, uh, you know, here's this trained combat diver, this amazing underwater warrior that the government's invested millions of dollars, right, in making this uh, amazing operator. And he'd never seen a fish. You know, the first dive he comes up, he was like ecstatic because he had seen a fish. And and Keith, 
you know, our third partner and I looked at each other and we were like, that's the whole point, Rudy, because you don't understand. I'm a combat diver. We dive at night on a rebreather in blackout conditions, usually in cold water. And we're not looking at what we're seeing in the water. We're on our way to do something. And usually that something is, you know, blow something up or rescue somebody or, you know, very dangerous missions. And this idea that there was all this stuff underwater that he'd never seen was like an epiphany to him. Wow. And by the end of the week, he was back. I mean, I can't really explain the transformation that we saw in him, but all that 14 months of like really evil that had been, had been keeping him, you know, not just down, but contemplating out, um, suddenly was gone. He just said, I got to get more of my guys down here to experience this. And, you know, he was like, this helped me more than any therapy, any rehab, anything I've, I've ever been through. And that's when we sat around and we said, well, wait a second, we could bring a handful of guys down here and just dive, but maybe there's an opportunity to do more. Maybe we can not only help our veterans, but maybe we can utilize our veterans to help get the message out to, as I said, an audience that otherwise wouldn't listen to it. You know, maybe there's this way to put these two seemingly unrelated problems, you know, the rapidly declining health of our of our marine resources and the difficulty these guys are having coming back from from years of deployment maybe there's a way to combine the two and do something really special yeah and uh and that was that was really it it all happened as most good things do sitting around a uh uh sitting around a bar in the cayman islands you know (laughs) (laughs) that's really where the idea the idea was born and and it's been you know, it's been two years in the making. We just did our first, we just had our first deployment of seven guys in, in um, you know, April and May. And, and now we're, we're sort of off to the races, hoping to turn this into a, um, you know, an ongoing program. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you just had your first deployment mission and that mm-hmm. was in April of 2017. So just, you know, a couple months ago, can you describe what occurred there? I mean, I know I got to get a really great view of it by watching that that video trailer you shared, um, which for listeners it is on the website, which I'll link to at the end of this podcast episode. But um, yeah, like what did that mission involve for these veterans and, um, and for the course? Yeah. Yeah. I'll sort of take you through how it was structured and then I'll, then I'll tell you what happened, which was even, I think really exceeded even our own expectations, which were pretty high in developing the idea for force blue. What we, you know, what we decided was imperative. A couple of things that were important were we didn't want this to be perceived as a Caribbean vacation for a bunch of veterans, right? You know, this was not just a recreational dive trip. So we, we planned it to create a military style training program that these guys are all very familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is up every day at 7 a.m., off to do physical training, PT, come back, classroom work, you know, diving, mission-focused diving, come back, debrief, more classroom work. So full days, you know, all the way until dinner and then, you know, discussion after dinner and then lights out. Repeat. This was not a, you know, hammocks and pina coladas <laughs> trip. This was this was hard work. And, and that's what they're used to and what they yeah. really, what they like. Yeah, and it's actually, you know, I'll get into what the value is for, on the veteran side of it in a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's really part of the 
of the therapy, if you will. But to create, we realized early on that to create this kind of program, we needed to have not just the best of the best from the veteran side, which these guys are all elite, you know, special operations veterans, but we needed the best of the best as the instructor staff from the uh, marine conservation and environmental side. So we recruited a staff of, you know, amazing people of which Jay was one. You know, I'd, I'd met Jay and spoken at Blue Mind earlier in the year, and he loved what we were doing and agreed to come down. And he was uh, an instructor for the final day. But we had a guy named Scott Heppel, who's a marine scientist from the University from Oregon State, specializes in like group responding. We had our our curriculum director is a guy named Lad Aikens, who. Uh, started and runs an organization called reef.org, which I think is the largest, one of the the largest coral reef uh, awareness generating organizations in the world. Mm -hmm. We had a woman named Patty Kirk Gross from the Coral Restoration Foundation, CRF in Key Largo, specializing in transplanting corals, who was an instructor. We had the guy, we had Guy Harvey, who's very famous, the Guy Harvey Ocean Foundation, and his daughter, took part in were instructors, uh, a guy named Peter Hillenbrand from Little Cayman, uh, Kathy Church, I, should, I shouldn't forget, who's a, a underwater photographer of great renown. So we had this amazing staff of, of scientists, marine conservationists, environmentalists, meeting this team of seven special operations veterans, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we weren't sure how it was going to go. And this is why I, I sort of get to the point where it exceeded all our expectations, because we really had raised money for this first deployment as a proof of concept. We, we knew on paper it sounded like a great idea, but we had to do it once. And we also had a film crew there, which, you know, you saw the, the trailer for the documentary we've created just to capture everything uh, so that we would have this proof of concept, as I say. And, and I'll tell you, the two weeks were nothing short of, I think, life-changing for everybody who was involved. I sort of knew going in intuitively that the veterans, because I know these guys, would embrace it, but we weren't sure how well the whole idea of, of a classroom and a coursework and these instructors and how everybody would relate. And the real uh, sort of epiphany to me was how much the people from the marine conservation side and the science side embraced these guys and were we're just so thrilled and so receptive. And, you know, our sort of our, our slogan for the two weeks became one team, one fight. And, and that's really what it was. And by the end of the two weeks, I mean, we, we literally had people in tears because they didn't want to leave. You know, it was a, it was this amazing coming together of these two worlds that represent maybe two very different sides of the political spectrum, two very different life experiences. But it was truly a uh, very emotional I think very fulfilling, worthwhile. Everybody got out of it exactly what we hoped they would. Something we need to touch on is what did the corals get out of it? So basically what we did is we spent the first four or five days exposing our guys. Because remember, a lot of them, you know, the vast majority, I think, you know, five of the seven had never been diving okay. on a coral reef before. So we spent the first four or five days really just exposing them to everything. You know, fish identification, understanding apex predators, sharks, rays. We we did an artificial reef, a wreck dive. We just kind of immersed them in, in everything to do with coral reefs and the and the threats that are 
that are facing them, right? And then we spent the last four or five days purely transplanting coral onto a damaged area of reef, showing the guys how corals are grown, taking those corals, and then transplanting them to an area of reef that had been damaged. And they ended up, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but over three days, these guys ended up planting, you know, hundreds of elkhorn, staghorn coral onto this damaged reef. You know, it's the kind of thing that for them, like the learning is great, but they're hands-on guys and they want to get down and they want to do good and they want to see the effects of what they're doing. And they were able to. The, the benefit from a program standpoint in, in talking to like Patty, who, who was the woman who was supervising all of that is she said, this workforce that you have assembled here far exceeds in tempo and ability to do this, anything I've ever worked with. So the point is, these guys operate at such a high level and are, are just so mission focused that they're able to do the work really of two men each, you know? So what we were able to accomplish just from a sheer outplanning perspective was really phenomenal. That was basically what the corals got out of it. There's now a nice, hopefully we'll, we're going to be checking every year on the growth of it, but hopefully we've got an area of coral now that, um, you know, will regenerate and, uh, and come back. Yeah. And for listeners, if you want to learn a little bit more about coral transplanting and restoration in this way, maybe you've never heard of it or anything. I do have a podcast episode with a woman named Kayla Ripple, who works at Coral Restoration Foundation in Key Largo, like Jim mm -hmm. mentioned. If you want to listen to that episode, you can get a little bit more background on kind of the science behind um, transplanting corals and growing them and all these sorts of things. So Jim, one thing I want to ask you about is the Force Blue logo mm -hmm. around it, there's three words. I think they really embody what Force Blue is all about. And I wanted to share that with listeners. It's buoyancy, belonging, and betterment. You know, what do those three words really mean for Force Blue? Buoyancy, belonging, and betterment. Yeah, that's really the, the credo, you know, upon which the, the, whole, the whole thing was founded and operates. And basically the idea is, you know, buoyancy, obviously, in a dive context, you know, that's what you try to achieve in the water. But for our veterans, you know, we, we look at these three words as sort of um, what we hope to deliver to all the veterans who participate, right? And by buoyancy, we mean the tools to regain equilibrium. You can imagine, especially, you know, these, these elite special operations guy, combat veterans, they come back and it's not as simple as, as dropping them in a cubicle and saying, now get on with your life. You know, there's an adjustment. And, and we hope to help through this mission therapy, which is what Force Blue is all about, giving them a new positive mission to help them regain equilibrium. Belonging, again, is just the ability to feel at home. And that really comes from the bringing the guys back together in a, uh, a cohesive unit to do good. You know, that's what they're used to operating in. So we're giving them a sense of belonging again. And, and then Betterment is, is really just the proof that the skills that they have, like, as I said, governments invested millions of dollars in creating for these guys and, and instilling in them are, are not perishable. Like their skills and their training can still make a positive difference. Mm -hmm. You know, that, so that's, that's really buoyancy, belonging, and betterment. For you, what have you observed with these veterans, these guys that came out on this first mission? What have you observed in terms of taking that training that they have 
and putting it towards something, you know, it gets tricky with the wording, but something that's more positive than, yeah. than negative. Yeah, I think that's everything. You know, I, I think so many programs, we hear about statistics like the 22 veterans a day that are killing themselves. And we, we hear about PTSD. And for the layperson, I think they tend, we, we tend to think of that as, well, these guys have experienced so much trauma. That's what's haunting them. And that's, it's these events and these experiences that are, are driving them to this alarming suicide rate. And, and I think that that's very much a part of it, certainly. But there's a whole nother component piece that we're missing, which is the sense that these guys have been so mission focused and so about working towards something bigger than themselves for so long that when that's gone, they don't know how to cope. You know, they don't know how to deal. They're so used to that. Whereas I think a lot of programs try to treat PTSD by giving the guys a positive experience. Force Blue is taking it to the next level and saying, no, there are missions that you guys can continue to go on. Mm -hmm. And mission, that's why we say we're a mission therapy program as opposed to a dive therapy program or a horseback riding therapy program or a kayaking therapy program or, you know, there, there are any number of these out there. But it's that mission and it's that sense that what they can do, they can now be advocates and fight for something frankly, that can't fight for itself. If you, if you think about what these guys have spent the bulk of their careers doing, right, it's protecting communities. And that's how we position the underwater world to these guys, in particular, this first deployment, Coral Reefs. We said, this is a community, guys. It's an interdependent, interrelated community, just like all the other ones you've ever seen around the world. This community can't fight for itself, and it's under siege. And as soon as you tell them that, they're there, you know, because that's who these guys are. That's I think that's such a great way to bring it to, you know, a nonpartisan issue, kind of like what you were talking about in the beginning. It's like this is a community that is in trouble and we need to help it. And it doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe or like or don't like it or whatever. I think if you can connect these veterans with that, other people can see that and go from there with it. Yeah. And, you know, we had a couple, one of our, our, our Navy, Jeff Reeves, who's our, our Navy SEAL officer, you know, he said this very artfully. He said that the one thing that he missed was not having a purpose, not feeling like what he was doing mattered. And you can come back and yeah, any job that you do, any job that you get back in the civilian world, sure, it matters on a certain level. It matters to, you know, the people you work with, your shareholders, whatever. But I think these guys are so in tune to like the greater good and to to making an impact that far exceeds just themselves. You know, part of the mantra is it's we, not me. And, and, and they these guys believe that to their core. So, you know, these larger than life issues that seem like impossible to tackle, like how can we ever, you know, save the ocean, save our oceans or or you know, save the planet. Well, those are exactly the type of things that these guys want to do. It may, may seem insurmountable to us, like, oh, that's, it's almost too much of a problem to even, how do we even wrap our arms around it? Well, they're the first ones to go, let's do it. Yeah, I think it's absolutely genius bringing these two disciplines together. I mean, I think when you think in our current, you know, society and political landscape, when you think military and you think 
environmental conservation, it just seems like it's on opposite sides of the spectrum currently. And yeah. it, it really isn't. It doesn't have to be. And I think what you're doing in combining them is just genius. And, and I, I love it. Um, so I think my last question for you, Jim, is what do you envision or maybe you already have lots of plans um, yeah. for the future of Force Blue? You know, are there are there new missions that are going to yep. be coming out? You know, what do you see it growing into? Well, you know, we were we were, as I said, you know, earlier, we were so all about this initial deployment, right? And getting this proof of concept together. Now that we have that and that we understand that what we have is something that we can replicate and be hugely successful with, you know, both for veterans and for the, and for the, the planet, we're basically building out an organization that is going to be very much following the model of, like I, I referenced earlier, what Jacques Cousteau did you know, 40 years ago with the French frogmen that he trained. Um, we want to create a elite uh, unit. Right now we have seven guys. Our goal over the next three years is to expand that to perhaps 30 that can deploy on these environmental missions, marine resource missions around the world. And at the same time, be out advocating, you know, both on behalf of veterans issues and on behalf of the of marine conservation issues, and, and hopefully, I mean, I see a day, you know, three, five years from now where we can broaden and have regional chapters. You know, there could be a Force Blue Florida. There could be a Force Blue South Carolina. There could be a Force Blue California where people can get involved through the special operations community, as our guys can instruct, in local conservation projects. But ultimately, the 10,000-foot view level is I think we have an opportunity to create a model for transpartisan kind of cooperation, caring, and actually getting stuff done that, you know, I really feel the sky's the limit for, you know, I, I don't know how to put it other than that. I feel like we can become an international force for good. I mean, I've had in the, in the three months since we've been back from our first deployment, I've probably had a hundred uh, special operations veterans from around the world, you know, guys from Egypt, Israel, Australia, reach out and say, Hey, how do we get involved? I really think we could become a global, you know, force multiplier for the environment and, and for our veterans. That's amazing. Well, I hope that all of those things come true. And I, I yeah, and I have a strong feeling that Force Blue is just going to continue to be successful and grow and be a countrywide and maybe international organization. So for listeners, if you have been inspired by what Jim and I have talked about and all that he is doing with Force Blue to help not only the ocean, but also our veterans, I will be linking to the Force Blue website. So you can find that at forcebluteam.org when I post this podcast episode. And I will also link to their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. You can find them at Force Blue Team there um, so you guys can connect with the force blue team and jim and maybe collaborate with them or get involved or just you know learn more about it um, yep. and then i do also want to mention that force blue is a nonprofit. they're a relatively new nonprofit, and they have lots of big hopes and dreams so if you are inspired to donate um, they have that donate button on their website as well so you can help them out and fulfill their mission so to speak. yes please take advantage of the donate button <laughs> yes definitely cool well Jim I want to thank you so much for all of the positive change that you are creating for the ocean you are really doing amazing work and bringing in an entirely new community into the ocean conservation realm that I haven't seen happening before so I want to thank you for that and I also want to thank you for being on the show today I really enjoyed talking with you 
Allison, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, good luck to you. And, you know, let's, uh, let's make some good happen. You just heard Jim Ritterhoff, Executive Director of Force Blue, a nonprofit uniting veterans with the world of coral reef conservation. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at oceanallison.com and tune into next month's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.